this morning, I just want you to focus on the fact that we are on this journey of discovering who we are as God's people. Last two sermons have been about declaring that we are the people of God. Today, we are looking at the theme of the house of gold. But you will see how that gold is written when it comes up during the message. But Psalm 91, verses 1 and 2, and then verses 9 to 12, says, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you, no disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And that is what God is saying to us this morning. Now we are going to be listening to the reading of our Bible lesson for this day. Our first reading comes from the Old Testament book of Exodus. Uh, it's Exodus chapter 37 and it's the whole chapter. And um, it starts off talking about the ark, the ark of the Bezalel made the ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, a cubit and a half wide, and a cubit and a half high. He overlaid it with pure gold, both inside and out, and made a gold molding around it. He cast four gold rings for it and fastened them to its four feet, with two rings on one side and two rings on the other. Then he made poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. And he inserted the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry it. He made the atonement cover of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide. Then he made two cherubim out of hammered gold at the ends of the cover. He made one cherub on one end and the second cherub on the other. At the two ends, he made them of one piece with the cover. The cherubim had their wings spread towards upwards, overshadowing the cover with them. The cherubim faced each other, looking towards the cover. They made the table of acacia wood, two cubits long, a cubit wide, and a cubit and a half high. Then they overlaid it with pure gold and made a gold molding around it. They also made around it a rim a hand's breadth wide and put a gold molding on the rim. They cast four gold rings for the table and fastened them to the four corners where the four legs were. The rings were put close to the rim to hold the poles used in carrying the table. The poles for carrying the table were made of acacia wood and were overlaid with gold. And they made from pure gold the articles for the table, its plates and dishes and bowls, and its pitchers for the pouring out of drink offerings. They made the lampstand of pure gold and hammered it out, base and shaft, its flower-like cups 
buds and blossoms were of one piece with it. Six branches extended from the sides of the lampstand, three on one side and three on the other. Three cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms were on one branch, three on the next branch, and the same for all six branches extending from the lampstand. And on the lampstand were four cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms. One bud was under the first pair of branches extending from the lampstand, a second bud under the second pair, and the third bud under the third pair, six branches in all. The buds and the branches were all of one piece with the lampstand, hammered out of pure gold. They made it seven lamps as well as its wick trimmers and trays of pure gold. They made the lampstand and all its accessories from one talent of pure gold. They made the altar of incense out of acacia wood. It was square, a cubit long and a cubit wide, and two cubits high. Its horns of one piece with it. They overlaid the top and all the sides and the horns with pure gold and made a gold molding around it. They made the two gold rings below the molding, two on opposite sides, to hold the poles and used to carry it. They made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. They also made the sacred anointing oil and the pure fragrant incense, the work of a perfumer. Now we go on from one gold to another bit of gold. This will be found in Paul's letter to Timothy. This is uh, Timothy, 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verses 14 to 21. And this is headed, A Workman Approved by God. Keep reminding them of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Harmonius and Philetus, who have wandered away from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some for ignoble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. And may God give his blessing to the reading of this word. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you for your great mercy and love. Thank you, Father Lord, for providing for us a place of safety here in your family, the house of God. So, Lord, we pray that you will speak to us even as we reflect on your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good. The house of... The house of... What do you see there? The house of... 
<laughs> there are two words in one there. If you can read it as the house of gold or the house of God. Ah, you see, <laughs> you have to look very well to see there that if you go by the golden lettering, you have the house of God. If you read the whole thing with the L, it becomes what? The house of gold. So today we're talking about the house of gold and the house of God. They're all one. Because the reading of the Old Testament lesson is about the tabernacle that God told Moses to build. And God asked Moses to build this tabernacle without giving him any item. But he gave him instructions of what that was going to look like, what was going to be in it, and all of that. And so Moses set out to build this. Talking about building and living in a place, the story is told of this man who went to his, um, you know, psychiatrist and said, look, I'm really losing it. I can't put up with this anymore. I said, what's the problem? He said, where I live, it stinks, you know, it's so clustered, everything, nothing is working there. He said, well, tell me, what, what is it? He said, look, my brother has five sheep in that house that bleeds every moment. My other brother has two horses, and they poo everywhere, and we can't just put our feet anywhere. And so it's, it's becoming so difficult for me. My mental health is, you know, really going down. And the psychiatrist said to him, okay, well, could you find somewhere else to live? He said, no, I can't. I can't leave my brother. And by the way, I don't even have the money to find anywhere else to live. This is the house we inherited from our parents, and all three of us live in it. He said, okay, why not then open the window so there will be fresh air coming in? Open the window? All oh, my five pigeons will fly away. <laughs> right, he was talking about those who are making life difficult without saying actually he was one of those making life difficult in that house. But he had pigeons that were doing as much havoc as the sheep and the horses. The house of gold, the house of God. Now, two Sundays ago, you know, we were reading the dedication of the temple that was built by Solomon. Now, that was an advance from the tabernacle. The tabernacle was not built with anything solid because the children of Israel were actually moving. They were in transition. So what they built was something that if they are moving, they will wrap up everything just like what we have here. Thank you very much, Kirsty. They will wrap up everything and carry it with them to the next location where the Lord asked them to camp. But for Solomon, he now came as the next king after his father David and built this magnificent temple. But even with the tabernacle, and of course, you know, the temple was so beautiful. Gold everywhere. 
that the queen of Sheba, who came from Africa, saw this and said, wow, this is just amazing. Now, here, God was telling, what's his name, Moses to build this tabernacle. If you look at the pictures there, it gives you a rough idea. Now, this is a book I read in the late 90s, early 2000s. The House of Gold, that's how that idea. You can see there, uh, La Casa de Oro, that is in uh, Spanish. The House of Gold. Now, it was written by this man, Jan Rule. He took time to go through all the little bits of the temple. If you find it, read it. It's a very nice book. Little book, just about 52 pages. Now, they took time to explain what all of the articles in the house of God meant. Now, reading Exodus 37, we read of this man called Bezalel. Bezalel was a craftsman who was so blessed and talented. God gifted him so much that he knew what to do with his hands. Some of you can knit. Some of you are good at carpentry. All kinds of stuff that we do. But we each have our strength. We each have our weaknesses. What you will do, I probably will not be able to do. And what I will do, you probably will not be able to do. So we each have something that we bring. And so Bezalel was so, so intelligent. And he could make all of these things. But for someone to build something like this, he couldn't do it by himself anyway. And if you read chapter 35, you will see there how the children of Israel were able to gather Remember I told you, God didn't give Moses a penny. He didn't give him anything because God owns everything. He knew that Moses will find what he needed. Now, if you read chapter 35, you will see there, the Bible says that the children of Israel, in verse 31, it talks of Bezalel. He has... God has filled him with, you know, his spirit, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of artistic crafts. So this man was multi-talented, and he has given him he has given both him and Oholiab, that's another person mentioned, who was involved in this craftsmanship and in this building. And then in chapter 37, we are now told all the things they did. Now at some point, the people brought so much that Moses had to say to them, please stop bringing, stop bringing. Because they kept bringing and bringing, and that's from verse 21 of the same chapter 35. It says that everyone who was willing and whose heart, everyone who was what? Willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting, for all its service and for the sacred garments. 
all who were willing, he repeats, men and women alike, came and brought gold jewelry of all kinds, brooches, earrings, rings, and ornaments. Now, if you didn't have a gold bar, at least you had a gold earring or you had a brooch that was gold. Everyone just brought whatever they had to do the work of God, how God gave them direction. And so, it goes on to say, they all presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. Everything to the Lord. And if you read on, you will hear them say that there was so much that Moses had to command them to stop. Stop. It's enough. It's enough. <laughs> you know. When God calls us to his house, he calls us to use what he has given us to do his work. Now, going back to um, the slide, Matthew Henry said something about this part of scripture we read. So the making of the ark and the furniture of the tabernacle in the furniture of the tabernacle were emblems of a spiritual and acceptable service. So they are bringing gold and silver. It's not just the item, but it indicated something. It was important, all the items they brought. And we read that chapter 20, uh, 37. Number one, there was incense, which represented the prayers of the saints. Incense was what? Representation of prayer. Because when you light incense, it does what? It goes up. It sprays everywhere. And so when the saints of God are praying, it ascends unto God. So that's what the incense represented. Number two, the sacrifice of the altar represented, of course, Christ, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Number three, the golden pot with manna, because remember, they got manna in the wilderness, and some of it they had to keep as what? A representation of what God had done for them in the past. And what does it represent? Like we have communion. Last Sunday we had communion, the flesh of Jesus Christ our Lord. He says, take it, this is my body which is given to you. And he did that for us. Number four, the candlestick. With its light, it indicates the teaching and enlightenment of the Holy Spirit. Then, number five, the shoe bread. There's that bread that was always there on the altar. It represented that provision. It represented that provision for those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Remember when Jesus said, all those who hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled. The beatitude. Remember the beatitude. And so, the gospel the ordinances and sacraments of the house of prayer abundantly bestowed. And finally, the exactness of the workmen to their rule, they were going to follow God's prescription. God said, this is how you do it, and you have to follow God's own direction. Quite often, we want to do God's work our own way when God is giving us direction how to do it. But here, it says we need to follow it should be followed by us seeking for the influences of the Holy Spirit that we may rejoice in and glorify God while in this world and at length be with him 
forever. So that is some of the items, some of the items you see in the tabernacle, the meaning they were not just there for nothing. Someone the other day was talking about pulpit in old churches. You still see it. This is high, but some of them are actually so high that when the preacher goes up, he's looking down from that very high height. Why did they have to have the pulpits up there? Because the word of God should tower above every philosophy of human beings. It should be the guide for our life. The word of God is the direction we need to live day by day. So the word of God symbolically was lifted above any other thing in the church so that we will concentrate. The Bible says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And then we go over to 2 Timothy. It talks of the house with many vessels, house with many parts. Now, I don't want to go into some parts of the house where you don't want to go into. When you go to your house, there are places you, you just go in quickly and you dash out again. It might be so cluttered you don't have any space. It might be in your loft. It might be somewhere in the garden shed. It might be somewhere in the kitchen. Whatever it is, the house has many parts. And there are some parts that are very, very important. Every part of the house is important. But assuming you had the problem of the toilet not flushing very well, what happens? You need someone to come and help you open it up. If the drain, the sink is not flushing well, you need a plumber to come and help you open it up and make it to keep flushing again. Why? Otherwise, the whole house will be stinking for waste that hasn't left. So there's no part of the house that is not important. Every bit. And the person who does that job, no matter how dirty it is, they are doing it to earn a living, but they are doing it to help us. Because if they were not doing the little bits they were doing, I mean, if you go to the restaurant, you've saved the place with a friend or your spouse. You're going there for an evening out there and you've ordered, pre-ordered everything and you're sat there waiting and you keep looking at your time. What's going on? They are serving everyone else but you and they gave you time when you should be there. I'm sure you begin to scratch your head. What's going on here? And you want to call a waiter to say, excuse me, we're still waiting for our food. Oh, we are coming, we are coming. An hour goes they're still coming. You'll be frustrated. So when God gives us what to do in his house, he wants to see action. He wants to see us putting ourselves into it. Like in the Old Testament, they gave themselves to everything. Even when we're talking about the house of gold, in Timothy, it also tells us that in that house, there is silver, there is bronze, there is wood, there's all kinds of things. There are tiles made of ceramics and all kinds of things in the house. If you, you know, you have plastic cutlery, disposable ones. But when you have visitors at home in your house, you don't want to give them disposable cutlery. You want to give them the best that you can give them to make them feel welcome. 
If someone visited you and you've set out everything and you're giving them disposable, it's more or less, okay, do this and get out from here now. But you want to make them feel really, really celebrated and welcome, you give them something that will make them happy. So what are we giving God? Are we giving God the best or are we just giving God leftover? So the house of God is the place of God's dwelling. Remember in Second Chronicles when it says, if my people that are called by my name, when they gather together and humble themselves and do everything and do everything, I will hear from heaven. So it's the place of God's dwelling. This place is the place of God's dwelling. Number two, the Bible says, worship God in the beauty of holiness. That's why there was gold everywhere. You don't just give God anything. God wants us to give our best to him. And so whether it was your earring or ring or bangle, whatever it was, they could find. So each person brought what they had. The Bible says we shouldn't just, you know, give out of compulsion. No, we should be cheerful givers. And it's God's treasure chest, God's house, God's family, God's people. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. But for some people, their heart goes before the treasure. Where their heart is, that's where they want the treasure to be. Now God says, where the treasure is, in the word of God particularly, there your heart will be. Number 2G, the first G is the house of God. Number 2G is the house of gifts. There was generosity. The people kept bringing and bringing and bringing. At some point, Moses said, the workers couldn't continue. They had to send words to Moses and say, look, we cannot do this work anymore. Because why? There's so much. And it's interesting. Just this past week, with the call for support to Ukraine, people kept taking things to the, I think, Alexandra Street. Was it where they were? Yeah? We were with Joy yesterday. And Joy had this... Um, you know, things that she wanted to take there, but they have said to people, stop bringing. So, because they have too much that they are still trying to sort out. Now, if it's happening, it happened in the Bible. They had too much to deal with, and they said to people, okay, thank you. Just hold on, hold on, hold on. And um, someone is having something over their head over there. That's a very nice head, <laughs> Harry. <laughs> And number two, it was a place of sacrifice, a place of sacrifice where whatever God has given us, God wants us to bring it back to him. The cattle upon a thousand hills, they belong to God. It doesn't belong to us. God has given it to us. It's also the place where skills and talents are used. Each one, as we have heard previously, we are gifted differently. So God expects us to bring what he has given us. is a place of beauty and brain. You have something. Sometimes we say, oh, what can I do? Oh, I'm tired. I have nothing. No, 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 no. There's something about you that is unique about you. If nothing else, when you put your fingerprint somewhere, there's no other fingerprint that is like yours. That's why you're unique. You're special. And so God expects that when we come to his house, we should also bring our best. And number three is the house of glory, the place of God's glory. Remember last time we read that scripture where the glory of God came down so much that the priest could not minister anymore. Because why? God is already there. <laughs> what are you doing? God has come down. And I pray 
that when we come to worship, the presence of God will be so powerful that every one of us, you know, I was in a meeting somewhere and God's presence was so powerful that people just, people were rolling on the ground. Tears were flowing and people were just thanking God. Some were singing new songs that they had never thought about before because the presence of God, they were overwhelmed, overwhelmed by the presence of God. It's also a place of discipline. You know, if you have such expensive items, you want to make sure people don't wreck it. The house of God is very expensive to God. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that delivered us. And Jesus said, if we will mislead any of these ones, oh, that it were better that a millstone was wrapped on that person's neck and dropped in the sea. That tells you how serious the Lord takes his church. Don't take it for granted that you are a child of God. It's a blessing that we should all be thankful to God. And so, so it inspires all and worship then. And finally, it is a place of refinement. If we have been Christians for 20, 30 years, and we're still living like someone who doesn't know Christ, then there has not been any transformation. There's not been any refinement. You know, the oil you use to cook, some of it is from olive, some of it is from other kinds of grains, but do you know how they get it out? They get it roasted, and then they squeeze it. They grind it and squeeze it. It's in the squeezing that the oil begins to drip. See, life sometimes can squeeze us to the point we are wondering, will I survive the next day? But let me tell you, it's in that squeezing that you come out better. Amen. It's in that squeezing of life that you come out a different person. It's in that squeezing you begin to think, oh wow, God has really done something in my life. Because why? In the squeezing, we begin to seek God. But for some people, when the squeezing comes, actually they turn away from God. Some people curse God. But no, in the squeezing, God wants the best of you to come out. And that squeezing could be a trial or a temptation. Every one of us in the past year or two may have passed through some squeezing. But let me tell you, pray that you come out better. Amen. As a church, pray that we come out better. As families, pray that we come out better. Because God is refining us by all the things. And so to close here, the question we have here is, have you discovered what vessel you are? Are you of gold, silver, bronze, wood, stone? Whatever you are, you are important in the house of God. If you look around the church, you'll find that, you know, this chandelier is gleaming up there. You know, golden. may not be pure gold, but it's golden. It's beautiful. It's different from this other chandelier. It's different from the other spotlights. But they're all lights anyway. The pillars that are here are holding the building. If you knock down this pillar, what happens? The building will come crashing. The roof is covering us. But even with the roof, we still need a ceiling to help us. So everything has its place. Same thing in the house of God. We each have our place in the house of God. And so the question is, have you discovered 
what you are bringing into the mix. What is your own offering? Number three, how are you offering it? How are you offering it? I want to read this scripture. You know, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Because it helps to remind us exactly how we should give what God has given us. Because if we don't know how, we might give it wrongly. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. It says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap what? Sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart, what you have decided. Nobody should cajole you, nobody should force you to do anything in the house of God. But what you have decided, okay, to give. Not reluctantly. If you have decided to give it, then give it not reluctantly. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. Okay? Somebody holds a gun and says, Karen, you must do this thing this morning. That's not how the church operates. It's that every one of us, we have what? The liberty to choose what we want to do. And that is exactly what it's saying here. How we give what God has given us is not under compulsion or reluctantly. It ends by saying God loves a cheerful giver. So whatever you're giving in the house of God, whatever service you're doing, do it. Not grumbling, not being angry about it. Do it openly from a heart of generosity and thanksgiving to God that you have an opportunity of giving. Because David, remember, wanted to give. God said, thank you, David. You're not going to build this house. Your son, Solomon, will do it. And then, are we giving God our best or our leftovers? That's another question we must think and ask ourselves. How comfortable are you then giving others space in the house of God to thrive? Or do you feel threatened by others? If you're in a team, how comfortable are you with members of your team? If you're in a family, how comfortable are you in the family to allow other members of the family to thrive? Very, very important for us this morning as we think of the house of God. Everything must be top-notch. But it's top-notch in, in the eyes of God because you might tell yourself, I don't have much to give. Remember the woman with the widow's mite. She gave what to people seemed insignificant. But to Jesus, that was the best. The millionaires gave. Jesus didn't praise them. Because he knew they had hedge funds where they had stashed billions. But this woman, we had just given a hundred pounds. And that hundred pounds to Jesus was like everything. Because she gave from the heart. So whatever you give, don't think it is small. But then be sure that you're giving God your best. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you this morning. Because here is the house of gold. The house of God. Where you have called us to serve you with everything you have given us. And Lord, we pray that we will not allow ourselves, O Lord, to come under any illusion 
that you don't look at what we do. That you are not concerned about how we serve. That you're not concerned whether we even serve or not. But that you're seeing every little thing that we do in your house. That we are not just passengers in your house. But that we're all part of the building. The building, the house of God. We may be gold, we may be silver. Lord, may we not only be the vessel of dishonor. Because the Bible says that it's also the vessel of honor and the vessel of dishonor. May we be the vessel, Lord, of honor at all times and in all places. That, Lord, you will rely on us to do your work. That when you want to say, who will I send? Who will go for us? That we will say, here we are. Send us. May the Lord hear our prayer. And may our cries come unto him. In Jesus' name. Amen.